This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. And good morning, good afternoon, wherever you may be. You are here live with Dr. Jeff Werber here on Pet Life Radio. You host the next 30 minutes on Ask the Vets with Dr. Jeff. And um, we're here for you. We're here for your pets. That means any questions you may have, anything you want to talk about, now is the time to do it. You know, it's interesting because I get so many questions from my clients weekly, daily. And here it is, a show where they can ask. And it's free. It takes longer. And not only do I get the answer for you, but I guarantee any problem any of you have for your pets, I can guarantee that other pet parents are having the same problems. So when you ask those questions, don't be bashful, and I answer them to you, we're helping other pet parents as well. So it's a great thing to do. Anyway, how do you get a hold of me here on Pet Life Radio? It's easy. 877-385-8882. Once again, 877-385-8882. Pick up the phone call. Better yet, go on to PetLifeRadio.com, click on Shows, scroll to Ask the Vets with Dr. Jeff, and you, there's a link, a Zoom link left for you, for you there on the app. Just go ahead on the, on the webpage and click on it, and you're joining us here live. Last week, we had a visitor who came on with her pet, helped her out, you know, answer some questions. So that's the way you do it here on Instagram. All you have to do is type in the little bar. Yes, it's good to say hi, and I'm going to wave at you when, when I see you. But better yet is you can go and send me any questions, any problems you're having, and we will answer them. And it's great because I get to share it with everybody, not just you. So other people will learn as well from when you reach out to me. So that's the best way to do it. So anyway, as you know, first of all, I hope everybody had a great week. Here in LA, we are had a gorgeous last couple of days. I mean, the temperature has been in the uh, high 80s, low 90s. Beach is gorgeous. So um, we're pretty lucky. I know I take calls from people on Airbet and uh, talked to somebody in Minnesota this morning. Not so nice. Still, still pretty cold out there. And I know that uh, they say Chicago is still pretty cold. So uh, anyway, just so you know. So anyway, while we're going to get started, so um, I like to always go through the news at the American Animal Hospital Association news site, the American Veterinary Medical Association, just stuff that you hopefully, ooh, that's a a good one. So we have a a question we're going to go to in just a second. The best way to get an emaciated diabetic dog to gain weight safely. And uh, there's a, a dance there because the more we get them to eat, we have to really closely monitor How much can we feed? And yet, what adjustments can we make or need to make on the amount of insulin that we're being given? So, you know, one of the things I'm working with a dog right now also is diabetic who has that little patch that goes on the skin and you can monitor the glucose by yourself daily, all day. Just take the little monitor, you wave it in front of the little little patch and it's a little plastic patch that goes embedded into the skin. And then we use uh, tissue glue to help keep it on. And it's fantastic. So we can, you can get reading all the time. So you'll know based on those readings, whether or not, because you want to feed more, they need the calories, but you also have to be very cognizant of how much more blood sugar that is going to add. So therefore, how much insulin you might need to give to adjust to the increased feeding. And of course, the, the whole idea is doing it very, very slowly, because if they eat too much too fast, it's going to be uh, have other problems as well, GI problems. You can call me anytime, I'll tell you, because one of my clients got the patch. You get it at a regular pharmacy. It's good for, I think, two or three weeks, and it's really, really, really cool. Before we go to some things I want to talk about, I'm getting another question on live, and that is, my little dog T gets ear infections around November, December time. Is there any way to stop prevent this? Ear infections are really, really common in dogs and often secondary to allergy. 
In fact, most ear infections are somehow related to allergy. And then the, the infection that you see is actually, as it is with the skin, secondary infection. So it starts with the inflammation, the disrupted balance between the bacteria and the yeast in the ear. More often than not, the, the yeast win, and therefore that discharge is very dark and greasy and, and smelly. Sometimes it's more of a creamy, yellowish, greenish discharge, which is bacteria. And um, the best way is to monitor the allergens, what allergens might be creating the problem. So routine ear cleaning is very important. Get into the habit of cleaning like once a week. And uh, there are some really good otic antiseptics that it's not like they're more antimicrobial. It'll sort of help maintain the balance of the ear. Some are over the counter. Some you can get from your veterinarian. So uh, anyway, that is what I'd recommend. Keeping them clean, trying to stay ahead of it will help a lot. So I thought this was cute because uh, of the five things I'm going to mention, I do four on my dogs all the time. So, and that is this. It's ever consider some of the playful things we do with our dogs, right? Just having fun. How about this one? Staring at them, returning a stare. So when they're looking at you, you just stare right back at them. Number two, hugging. Hugging. You think, oh my God, they love hugging. Well, maybe not. <laughs> Here's what I do. <laughs> I'm terrible. Blowing in their face. You blow it up and they kind of throw back. And then two things, forcing a shy dog to socialize. And also, this is, who thinks about this? Vacuuming without providing a quiet place for your dog to hide. And um, so th these are all things that can actually upset our dogs. They can annoy, they can scare, or actually anger them. So that's really just, it's a good thing to know. Because if you have a dog that doesn't like to be blown in the face, my dogs, I think, like it. I think they do, that they don't complain, they don't try to snap at me, but if, you, if you're trying it on a dog that doesn't like it, you might get a snap in the face. So be really, really careful. So again, the, the list, and there, there can be other things, but there are things that we do all the time. Staring, having a staring contest, hugging, blowing in the face, forcing a shy dog to socialize. People come over, your dog's a little nervous, a little anxious, and you pull them, you pick them up, and you bring them over to the people. <laughs> Someone, that, that can actually backfire, just so you know. And also, when you vacuum, when you're cleaning up, you really need to just give them an option. They may not want it. Like one of my dogs, my Frenchie, he sees a vacuum cleaner. For him, that's a toy. He wants to attack it. He attacks a broom, let alone a vacuum. But some dogs that don't like it, you want to give them a place that they can sort of hide. And uh, that would be something I would recommend. So, okay, my friend Elise wants to talk about doggy dementia. So before we go on, this is a great thing to talk about. First of all, we call it doggy Alzheimer's. It is, it's very similar. And as dogs get older, there's a name for the two. There is CDS, cognitive dysfunction syndrome, okay? And then also CCD, canine cognitive dysfunction. So they're referred to in the literature two different ways, but it's the same thing. As dogs get older, not all, but some dogs, they start to lose their sort of mentation. They can forget where they are. For example, here's some of the signs, okay? Your dog all of a sudden isn't house trained anymore. Is it that they really forgot? Is it that they're just getting too old and weak and, and their arthritis kicking in? They know they're really supposed to get up and go through the doggy door, but you know, heck, I'm tired. I'm sitting here. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna go. Let mom will clean it up. I'm not worried. All right. How about you come in at night and they start really barking at you like you're a stranger? It doesn't click right away that wait a second, I know that smell, I know that sound, I know that face. Or how about you walk in and your dog is literally staring in a corner, not moving, just staring. 
It's as almost if all he has to do to get out of that corner is back up two steps and turn right or left. But no, no, they're stuck. They seem to get less excited about things that would normally get them excited. So there are so many different symptoms of dementia, but it does happen. What can you do about it? Brain food, antioxidants. If you give them antioxidants, that can help. There is a medication that is used in people called L-Depernil, Selegiline. We have used it in pets with some success. And as with people, the reason why there are so many different medications out there for people is because they don't all respond. And the same thing with animals. Not every animal is going to respond to the same to every single medication that we're going to give for any particular problem. So you have to keep that in mind that it's not easy. And this is what I wish people would understand when it comes to animals or people, there's no such thing as the perfect, perfect subject. Okay. So what happens, what, what I mean is, is that, for example, when we do drugs, let's take the one the more, more common. I, uh, one of my calls this morning dealt with this, and that was a dog that's still out of it after getting anesthesia. And it's a day and a half, almost two days later. So did the doctor give too much? Or was the doctor gave exactly what the book says? They always gives you a range, five to 10 mg per kg, milligrams per kilogram of body weight. All right. Usually we'll start, you know, lower to lower middle. All right. Now, if you have a dog who's just a ridiculously sensitive to this drug, but you don't know it, there's no way to test for it. So now this dog is really out, or instead of you know, recovering completely in four hours, eight hours later, it's still zonked. It's not that the doctor made a mistake. It's the dog didn't read the book. The dog didn't know, wait a second, that book says five to 10 mix per kick, but you know what? I only need three. Then there's no way to tell. So and I mean, we deal with this all the time. And uh, it's, of course, the owner, the pet parent is upset and I get it and wants to blame somebody. And if you have to blame somebody, sometimes blame the dog, blame the patient. He's the one or she's the one that's overly sensitive to something that she's not supposed to be, but you don't know. And it's no different than walking to a restaurant, eating something you've had a dozen times and getting a severe allergic anaphylactic reaction. Is it the food's fault? Is it the restaurant's fault? No, it's the body. It just happens. And um, so you know, I was dealing with this today in the call, and I thought I didn't even know the veterinarian, but I could tell you that that you know when it comes to sedation, anesthesia, medication, we have pretty strict, you know, narrow guidelines of what the appropriate doses could be. And the reason why they actually give a range at all is because of anticipating different sensitivities. And when that happens, if you give too low and it doesn't work, now the owner's pissed that it didn't work. You give too much and the dog has a bad reaction. They're upset because the dog is having a bad reaction, is vomiting or whatever. Unfortunately, there's no such thing as like an exact science when it comes to the body. Whether it's our body, whether it's the pet's body, it's the body. And there's only so much that we can do to help them out. So we do our best, trust me. Anyway, so I hope that helps uh, with dementia. Antioxidants are great. CoQ10, vitamin C is a good antioxidant. Vitamin E is a good antioxidant. There are some foods out there now that are loaded with antioxidants. They call them brain foods. So, and that's why, brain foods for a reason. Anyway, next up. So again, we talked about this in a way, beware of pet scams. It's happening again. And it's not just to purchase or adopt a pet. Some of the scams you're going to see, you see this commercial, and this is legit for ASPCA. Oh, it tugs at those, at those heartstrings, they call it. I mean, it is just unbelievable. You feel so badly. They show animals in the worst conditions possible. Then you have soft music in the background and a famous singer singing a beautiful song, and they want your money. And so it's very easy to say, oh, I, I need to help these animals. I'm going um, to write a check right now. I'm going to call in my credit card. Beware. Do your homework. Because a lot of these are total scams. It's very easy to get 
The internet is covered with sad looking dogs and cats and animals that are being mistreated. So all you have to do is you, you get some of those pictures, those images, and you're bringing around some soft music and help us help them. And of course, we're animal lovers. Of course, we want to help them. But do your homework first. Make sure they have legitimate sites. Maybe, you know, contact them. If, you, if, you, if, if they give a phone number, call them. You want to talk to the veterinarian. If they don't have that access to that information, like boom, at the fingertips, then very likely it's a scam. They want your money. It's not going to go to help the dogs. It's going to help them buy their new car. So um, whatever it is, just be careful. Oh, this is also interesting. <laughs> Sorry for all of you out there that have purebred dogs. I have two. My five are purebred. Purebred dogs had a 1.9 times the relative risk of cancer, all right, claims at through a particular pet insurance company than non-pure breeds. So, I mean, that's pretty scary. So this was Nationwide Pet Insurance. It's a good one. It's a, it's a biggie. And they reviewed of 1.6 million claims over six years. And the purebred dogs had a 1.9 times, that's almost twice as many claims for cancer. So um, again, who leads the list? Well, we know boxers have been the number one cancer dog forever. Now, golden retrievers have taken that number one spot. And beagles, beagles. And the only good news is, is that Labradors that do get cancers, they, they do for sure. I've had labs for 40 plus years. And yes, actually, hell, almost 50 years. What am I, what am I saying? Almost 50 years, because I got my first one. It was a high school graduation present. That was coming up on 50 years ago and had labs ever since. Anyway, so yes, there are those that had cancer. Mast cell tumors seem to like Labradors, but they were not in that top group. So uh, I'm happy about that. So, oh, you know, it's time for a break. When we come back, uh, we mentioned this uh, last week, but I want to talk again about 3D printing and how it is the future of what it's going to do for us as doctors, as veterinarians, both helping us people and also helping our pets. We'll be right back to these short words. Don't go away. Take a bite out of your competition. Advertise your business with an ad in Pet Life Radio podcasts and radio shows. There is no other pet-related media that is as large and reaches more pet parents and pet lovers than Pet Life Radio. With over 7 million monthly listeners, Pet Life Radio podcasts are available on all major podcast platforms. And our live radio stream goes out to over 250 million subscribers on iHeartRadio, Odyssey, TuneIn, Stitcher, and other streaming apps. For more information on how you can advertise on the number one pet podcast and radio network, visit PetLifeRadio.com slash advertise today. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. And we're back here live on Pet Life Radio's Ask Vets with Dr. Jeff. Just at the break, I was talking to our Instagram live audience about one of my cases this morning, how it was a 14-year-old dog that goes into play, anesthetized Friday for endoscopy to uh, take some tissue samples of the intestine. The dog has chronic diarrhea. Is it intestinal lymphoma, lymphosarcoma? Is it inflammatory bowel disease? Is it bacterial overgrowth? What's going on with this poor dog? So one of the best ways to get that answer is to endoscopy. And um, meanwhile, here it is. I get a call Sunday morning. Procedure was done Friday, and the dog is still pretty much out cold. So the gums were nice and pink, so no bleeding anywhere, which is good. But I noticed when she, the owner lifted the gum up and then let go, the gum stayed up. 
that tells me that there's a, some dehydration. Those gums are really tacky. Then I asked her to scruff the dog, lift up at the back, the neck. And what, what happens is, is that it was like when you scruff a cat. When you lift up, when you pinch the skin and then let go, it should go down immediately. But if it stays up there and you can almost see the, 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 like the tent, right, that shape, then you know that's dehydration. This dog was very much dehydrated, which explains probably why he's having such a, a tough time awakening from the procedure. So I said, you know, get her someplace. I think it was a female. Get her someplace. She's got to get some fluids. Sub-Q fluids would be okay. IV fluids would be even better. But the reason why this dog is taking so long to get up is because he's so dehydrated, which is uh, uh, really a, a big problem. Question, if my dog takes pack dog hikes every week, should he have a Bordetella shot more than once a year? And here's how I feel about Bordetella. First of all, of all the vaccines we give, and I, I'm a big supporter and proponent of Bordetella, the weakest vaccine from a protection standpoint is Bordetella. Why? Because Bordetella is we're vaccinating against a bacterium, not a virus. So you really can't, what we use is called a bacterin. So that Bordetella vaccine, we call it, is really a bacterin, technically. And you're using killed bacteria. It's really hard to get live bacteria to multiply and, and, and have that same effect that we do with viruses, what we call it a modified live virus vaccine or an attenuated virus vaccine. So when I was in school, this is a long time ago, they said, if you really want to get an efficient protection from Bordetella, you need to give the vaccine every four months three times a year. That's impractical. So now we say, okay, let's compromise. We'll go twice a year. So here's my, my take. If you have a dog, dogs like mine, I have five. They are not the best well-behaved in packed circumstances where there are a lot of dogs. So dog parks do not work well with them. Runyon Canyon doesn't do it. I will not take them to like Santa Monica, Third Street Promenade. I, I'm only asking for trouble. So they've developed their own pack. They are fantastic with each other. They go to daycare every single day in my backyard. So are they exposed to other dogs? No. So I do. I just do the Bordetella shot once a year. Now, so most places that are frequent, we're having like these doggy daycares, dog parks, they recommend twice a year, every six months. So if on these hikes, your dog is with other dogs, and even though your dogs may not go anywhere else but this once a week hike, but those dogs are going to daycare, they're doing a hiking more, then I would recommend to be safe. And it's not an expensive vaccine, very few side effects, if any, I would do the Bordetella every six months just to be safe. So I hope that answers your question. So 3D, 3D, so this is really cool. We're seeing 3D technology, first of all, it's a mind blow. It really is. Instead of scanning something and putting it through a regular printer, and you're seeing a 2D image, 2D image on a flat piece of paper, it's done in three dimension. So there's, as it's going around it, it's taking every nook and cranny. This is so amazing that they're actually thinking that one of the potential uses in the future is going to be to make 3D artificial organs based on your organs. So it's going to be exactly, I don't know what material they're going to use. It's going to be some compound-based material. And they're going to like recreate a heart. I mean, think about that. It's insane. And they're already talking about doing this. I mean, this is out there. But right now, because they can't breathe life into these things, they're using them to, for example, if they have a, a disease or a condition of a, of a limb, and they're trying to figure out the best way to repair it, they'll do a 3D image of the limb, will make a model of the limb and the defect that the limb has, and then practice on this model to figure out the best way to repair it. So when they go in to finally repair it, 
then they cannot, and not only can they fix it, but they, if they need to, they can make specialized instruments, surgical instruments to help with the repair. That is really, really cool because a lot of times, you know, surgeons get in there and you're, you're kind of stuck. You might see something you haven't seen. You might be something where the current selection of instruments you have just aren't right. They make it work, obviously, but it's not ideal. So to be able to manufacture, develop instruments to help with a particular problem in a particular surgery, that is really, really cool. I think it's, it's amazing stuff. So this is also interesting. So do you think, do dogs exhibit facial expressions? And of course they do. I mean, you, you've seen it. Here's what's interesting. Dogs' facial muscles have changed over a millennium through evolution. Why? To better communicate emotions and, of course, be more appealing to their owners and to read and to be able to decipher what other animals are doing. Now, there's a study found that the faces contain significantly, modern dogs today's faces contain significantly more what they call fast twitch muscle fibers than the wolves that they descended from. So this way, through facial expression, dogs can more easily sort of express their emotions and they also now learn about that. So they take what they've learned and they also apply it to their own understanding of other dogs and us. And, you know, we've talked about this before in the show that dogs definitely 100% can read our expressions. They know when you're angry. They can tell when you're mad. They read our eyes. They read just like we read them. We can read from their position of their ears. We can read from their jowls, from the muzzle. We can read, read from their tail and how it's wagging. And if it's wagging, you know, what's going on in them emotionally? Well, just think about it. They could not have survived for all these hundreds of thousands of years the way they have if they didn't get better at reading us. And I think that's you know, what's happened. So it's sort of become partially developmental out of just evolution and mostly because of need. And uh, I think that's really cool. And as we're getting towards the end of the show, if there's any questions you have, but I want to mention um, we have uh, World Dog Day coming up and we'll talk about that later. I think that's, that's in May. Then also, but this coming week, April 10th to the 16th, is National Dog Bite Prevention Week. So again, there are a lot of you know, entities, organizations trying to prevent, you know, one of my very good friends is one of the head doctors at Children's Hospital LA, CHLA. And they, uh, what they do is they have me come in and speak every couple of years. And I speak mostly two subjects, okay? And um, one of them is dog bite prevention. And it's, it's so int interesting because we know a lot about dog bites that could help people. And the other thing I talk about is zoonotic diseases, because there needs to be a really good understanding. These interns and residents going through CHLA, so they're going to be working with kids. And you know, this is great training for them, by the way. And these are two areas that it's very important that people understand and moms understand, and they should educate moms. And they need to know themselves, young doctors, the young pediatricians need to know the risks of some of these zoonotic diseases and also dog bite prevention and you know how to teach moms that especially if they have a dog in the house to be a little bit more proactive and you know it's very interesting to me i had a case oh my god years and years ago and we you know you would think well of course zoonotic diseases of course they're going to get that in med school of course they will well guess what they don't and here's one that really surprised the heck out of me. And um, it was, I was, there was another TV doc years ago, uh, Dr. Dean Adele, and I would do some segments on his show with him. And uh, one of the things we talked about was toxoplasmosis. Now, he had a mom and a extremely compromised daughter who, mom had toxo when she was pregnant with this daughter, and very physically 
and mentally and emotionally challenged, but life in a wheelchair. And I mean, it was very, very sad. And one of the things that Dean, Dr. Adele wanted to talk about was, was mom ever alerted by her OBGYN when she was pregnant about toxoplasmosis in cats? And if you do gardening, either don't do it or wear really heavy duty gloves. And if you clean the litter box, no, give that chore to dad, because this is how toxo can be spread. And it has severe, severe effects on the unborn child. She never knew about it. And I actually asked at the time, our OBGYN, from this moment, my kids were being born and stuff. And um, he talks about it all the time. So don't assume that all these doctors know things. And even if they know it, don't assume that they ask. He says on his patient information form, my friend, the doctor, Bobby, he says, he goes, he asks, do you have cats in the house? So it's very important to know. And yet uh, sometimes it goes unrecognized and the results are damaging. So therefore I do like to uh, talk about dog bites with these young interns and residents. And I talk about zoonotic diseases, but more importantly, National Dog Bite Prevention Week. Understand, you know, again, here I am talking about dog bite prevention. Yes, I was bitten by a dog really badly when I was five years old. Plastic surgery on my face and all. And it was not a love bite. So anyway, it does happen. And uh, fortunately, it did not scare me away at all. And have I been bitten since? Yes. Any veterinarian who tells me they've never been bitten by a dog is either lying or a vet that I wouldn't want to go to because he's not getting close enough to those dogs to make me happy as a dog parent. I want to see that vet hugging my pet. I want to see that vet getting licked in the face. And, uh, you know, all these talks that I talk about now, and you should never do that. And you should have, it's almost as if you're wearing a plastic bubble and don't get this close. The heck with that. That's ridiculous. When you le learn to read dogs, I think of it the opposite. I've been doing this for 38 years. All right. And I have only bitten like really maybe five times. I mean, five, like really, I'm not talking a little cat scratch. I'm talking about bites, a couple of stitches here and there. I got one on the lip. I got one, a couple on my hand. I mean, it's going to happen. And if you're going to be that very involved veterinarian, you're going to get bitten. That's all there is to it. And it's okay. Just be smart and don't get bitten too badly. Fortunately, none of my bites have ever been really bad. So anyway, thanks for joining me here on Pet Life Radio's Ask Events with Dr. Jeff. Next week, I will not be available. So I will not be here. But the Sunday after that, I will be. So uh, we will take a break next week for all of you on Instagram Live. You will not see me next week, but still send me questions, send me things to talk about. I love it. I'll be happy to uh, share things with you. And that's it. So have a great week, everybody. For those of you here in LA area, and I know just when the name's popping through, some of you are my patients, my clients. It's a gorgeous day. It's going to be beautiful out there today. It's a little overcast right now, but it's going to burn off and uh, we're going to have a great day. Uh, for those of you on Pet Life Radio, send me things. Any questions, you can always reach me either at drjeff at petliferadio.com or jeff at airbet.com and send me any questions you have, anything you want to talk about. I would love to not only help you share your problems, your questions with everybody, but have you come on live. It's very easy to do. We'd love to see you here live on Pet Life Radio. And those of you here on Instagram Live, just send me stuff, questions. And for everybody, have a wonderful week. See you in two weeks. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.